I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let's get this all set up, and I'm going to do a little cheeky film, cheeky film things. What are you doing? A little cheeky um, I just like to visual, see you, mate. With visual <laughs> media online, it's something I want to incorporate into sure. the next season of the podcast a bit. It's a bit of the filming of Ooh, the cool. process behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. here we are behind the scenes. Here we are. Can we do my favorite little bit? Okay. See if you can uh, remember how it goes. So what? Hello, dear listeners. Whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the recap for season one and a special welcome to (laughs) my only guest. Uh, No, sorry, not guest. Gosh, I can't even talk already. I've already already put my foot in it. (laughs) My only (laughs) co-host on the show. Well, thanks, mate. No worries. Uh, It's been a bit of a ride. Yeah, it's been great. It's been great to, to listen. From a distance? Honestly, <laughs> I didn't know if I was gonna go through with this mm. when I first when I first decided one day just randomly. I did. I knew you would. Definitely. Because that's how you operate. You you'll come out with an idea like that and then you'll funnel so much time into it that it, it will either work or or that's it. I did <laughs> I did have to tell a lot of people about it though in I think that's why I knew that it would work because that's how you do it as well. You hold yourself accountable by (laughs) by telling everybody what you're doing and then you feel guilty if you're not doing that. So I just sort of sprung up out of bed one day Mm -hmm. with this idea for a podcast at a point in lockdown where I could really just feel myself starting to get a bit down in the dumps. Mm -hmm. I just do that when I've got too much time on my hands. You do. And I think what I was lacking which I've, I've come to realise throughout doing the course of this show, was just a creative outlet that was that was my own. All yours, yeah. And it's something that a couple of my guests have spoken about throughout the season mm-hmm. is the difference between being creative, doing creative work, like what I get to do in my Ents role with Away Resorts. I get to perform and sing and dance and learn scripts and put on shows every day of the week if I'm not 
on stage performing that I'm in a rehearsal or I'm learning lines. It's a creative job and it really scratches that itch for me. But something I hadn't found yet since making the move over here to the UK was a creative project of my own. And there's such a difference between just doing a creative job and then actually creating something of your own. Mm-hmm. What would have been the last thing that you would categorize like that? Well, at the end of uni. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that came about with me having too much time on my hands yes. too, didn't it? As yeah. third years at the end of the conservatorium's MT course, our year of learning kind of finished a few months earlier than the first and second year. So we were just kind of hanging about campus, thinking about how we were no longer going to have all the resources mm. on site any longer. And I, I coerced, I was about to say forced. <laughs> <laughs> I convinced my cohort to create a cabaret with me, yeah. which I, I, I spearheaded. I will take a, a bit of the ownership over that. I did write the piece. We did it as a verbatim, show where we all sat around together and, and shared all of our stories. I absolutely ripped this concept off um, a chorus line and how they created that, but it worked. So it's all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm paying credit there where it's due, but yeah, we sat around and told all our stories about our time over the three years studying at the conservatorium. And there was this overarching theme of, of uh, a bit of an awareness and sometimes a struggle with mental health. Uh, between us as young performers and over the course of three years, not earning much money, trying to figure ourselves out and trying to push ourselves into this career that we Mm, hoped but mm. didn't know would happen. And from that came a really beautiful cabaret that raised a good couple of hundred dollars for um, Headspace. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So that would have been the last creative thing I did. Mm, The one that came to mind for me was when we directed You're in Town together Mm. because I feel like you had the same energy then as well. You really just funneled all of that time and and all of that all of that energy straight into that project too yeah Mm. so i think if i've gotten anything out of creating this show so i'm just going to adjust this mic a bit because you've got a lovely resonant booming voice and Mm -hmm. i'm I'm a little bit less i'm a little bit less resonant so let's just adjust there a bit i think if i've gotten anything out of this podcast it's just recognizing my personal need for a creative project in my life, which is why I'm going to continue the show. Um, it's just taught you so much. Yeah. It's very clear. I think anybody who's been listening from the beginning will agree with me when I say that your hosting has improved, your speaking has improved, your interviewing skills have improved out of sight. It's just, it's been really interesting to, to watch that progression, I think. Thank you. Mm. And I think that all feeds back to a central theme of just self-confidence. Yep. As well, and I think there's something that comes from hearing your own voice back. Mm. It's it's like what I've gotten from watching the live streamed work that I've done with Away Resorts over the past year. Actually, getting to watch myself on screen, as much as I found that extremely difficult at first, I think every, anybody would find that super confronting, right? Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. It it awakened a whole world of like body image issues within me, which I struggled with at the end of the last year. And I've thanks to you and our our fitness regime over lockdown which I've now carried back into my own life I've been able to approach 2021 with a much healthier body um body outlook you look great 
Oh, cheers, mate. You're all right. So that's that. <laughs> yeah, thanks. If anyone's watching the video, yeah, look at yeah. Uh, if you're listening, I'm uh, filming a little uh, video. She's of, just flexing on your. That's <laughs> what's happening. Oh, just very flexed. Yeah. Uh, come and follow us on the Pursuit Pod on Instagram. I'm going to start putting a little bit more footage of this behind the scenes stuff up on my Instagram to share with because it's just fun to watch. I, I I like the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. It's what I'm interested Everybody in, does. Mm. and 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 it's why I started this podcast as well because talking to these guests. I've, I've gotten to hear about what is actually happening in their lives to sustain these creative careers behind the sort of glitz, glitzy, glamoury um, highlight reels that we post on yep. the internet. And I think that's really important. So uh, let's get to it. Basically today, and I've got some notes here, Will, so that you can jump in with me and I don't just steamroll you like I did. <laughs> but I just want to touch on some of the big themes that I've spoken about with my guests in the last six episodes so if you have come to this episode after not listening to any of the others this season what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> why are you here it's a bit of a spoiler i have to say so do go back and and tune into some of the earlier apps but for those who've been with us for the whole journey let's go back and uh, just after the last recap my first episode was with steffi wonderful Gorgeous girl, yeah. and uh, I um, can't wait to meet her in person. I know we're yeah. still yet to do that because as much as things are opening up here in London, yeah. we still can't visit people in their homes. No, or no. June twenty first, I think, is when social Gosh. distancing rules will be. It's been a long time, hasn't reduced. it? Reduced, yeah, yeah, it has been. And um, I think something I really enjoyed with Steffi, especially, is that we did our show together in Brisbane, as we yep. spoke about. We did Rent together before I shipped off and moved over here. Mm. And I got to know her a little bit, but I I had only just tipped the iceberg with getting to know her. And when I actually did some research on her and what she'd done and then finally got to sit down and chat with her, I just realised what an amazingly brave and curious person she was. She left home at basically 18 from Uruguay. So that was a little um, a little part of her story. I got to talk about her history of moving from Uruguay, which is something I'm enjoying about this show is just hearing about people from different countries. And um, something I want to focus more on in season two is branching out branching out even more and hearing more stories of people living and moving from different countries and and that was a big part of Steffi's thing she's in her own words she's kind of lived this bit of a gypsy life yep. yeah. <laughs> as much as that has, that has a bit of a negative connotation here in the UK that's mm -hmm. quite um we use that word a little differently back home yeah, yeah um but she's had this real um traveling life of working in the UK and then moving to Australia where she fell in love um, and where I met her doing rent. But one of the biggest uh, themes we spoke about in her episode was just the constant struggle of handling life outside of performing. And finding love in Australia was not her plan mm. uh, when she first moved over there. It was something that just kind of happened to her. Um, and as performers, we have to be so emotionally vulnerable and that's, you know, in positive ways and negative ways when we're doing our work. So to have big relationships stuff happening when you're also taking big risks in your life, like living in another country, like that must have been really difficult for her. And I, and I, the relationship came to an end as well, which she spoke about in her episode. And, and all, all the while, whilst this happened, she also 
suffered from a vocal injury. I think that was the thing that was the sort of, I think highlights too positive a term of, of to describe like that, that part of the podcast. But I, mm. you know what I mean when I say that, I, I think that was like the, the, the thing that, that grabbed my attention in that, in that episode, her, mm-hmm. her discussions about dealing with that injury and also the stigma that came with that in, yeah. in the industry and the fact that she, she focused on, on the idea that that doesn't happen in other professional kind of performance industries. And by performance, I'm talking about like sport yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're still performing essentially and, and you just don't have high-class athletes mm-hmm. copying the same kind of, of difficulties when it comes to recovering from injuries, dealing with injuries, performing while injured, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It, it seems to be more accepted in, in these sporting industries than, than it is because she she spoke about how yeah people can be quite petty and, and judgmental and you know which what? is is crazy because you're part of a community you're part of like people should be lifting each other up in in those circumstances and not not degrading one another but i think it's it's so competitive as well isn't it and that that comes into it because you know if someone's not the best that, and and you are then maybe you'll get the thing that that, that you're both going for which is horrible isn't yeah, it yeah gosh and and not that any of that happened outwardly no. during rent no but sometimes it's the unspoken stuff that mm. that hurts and i really had to reflect on my own behavior mm. when i spoke to Steffi about about what happened to her mm-hmm. during that show because i it, i i absolutely did not express any judgment towards her for her losing her voice but i i was one of the con kids that was doing that show yeah and we were in brisbane and the con is the course attached to the brisbane musical theater scene so we were kind of the in crowd yeah that were doing that show um and you know there's there were particular teachers at the con as well who were very opinionated about vocal technique and and how your sound should be and ultimately if you're studying uh, to develop a tool that you want to be able to use for your whole life. That's when that's when technique, mm, I use mm, quotation marks there, mm. is is really, really important. But I think as I've grown as a vocalist and I've grown away from my private tutoring yeah. at the moment anyway with my, my voice work, I've actually grown to appreciate the fact that voices are so unique mm. and people's opinions about what sounds good and what doesn't I was gonna say is it's, completely it's, individual. It's individual, yeah, exactly, exactly that. Like people are going to have their own opinions about things and they're able to, but I think the problem comes when those opinions are then forced onto other people. Aha, uh-huh. and like, honesty is such a valuable thing to get from someone, especially if it's like a vocal coach, like mm. someone to honestly tell you, this is what you're doing wrong and this is what's causing this problem for you or blah, 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 blah. But honesty without tact is cruelty. Interesting. That was something that someone said to me once and it really, really rang true. It's something I've really tried to carry on. Tact is cruelty. Yeah, like, okay, yeah. And I think especially when talking about people's voices, something that is so personal to them. And I, I, I just, I, I, I sort of wanted to bring this up because I think Steffi has the most gorgeous sound in the world and it's super unique and it's textured and it tells a story yeah. of her life. It, it, it's not this cookie cut sound. That, and I mean, she's done immense training herself. She's, she studied full time as well. But I just... Yeah, I think as I grow more mature and develop my own voice and develop my own interest in voice, it's something I've come to realise and was reminded of. We're talking about Steph 
Steffi and her vocal surgery to just check my opinions sometimes about people's voices and and the fact that also vocal injury is is a lot more common than what is spoken, spoken about. about it really really is and I found it really interesting to hear about her talking about the whole process and about the recovery from it and how she completely lost her voice when she came out of surgery like like you're a librarian right mm-hmm. what if you had to undergo a procedure on your eyes where you then came out and for the whole month I couldn't, month, I couldn't you, see you couldn't the books. See. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm really like just applying a yeah, situation. Thanks, but... mate. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like that I must, do. That's I know terrifying. What you mean. It is, yeah. You don't you don't ever want to be struggling with, with an injury that stops you from doing what it is you've you've trained to mm. do forever. Yeah. So yeah, that was a really interesting chat for those reasons. Let's let's move on to uh, Casey's chat next. My lovely friend Casey. I um He's, he's one of my youngest friends, actually, who's out doing things mm. at the moment. And I think what I really enjoyed about um, his chat, especially after uh, my, my chat with Steffi and my chat with Ray just before that, we'd, we'd gotten really heavy on some mental health stuff, which I love about mm. this podcast that Whereas I'm able to do that. Casey kind of focused on the, the joy of it, just the, the sheer passion that, that comes with being able to to do something like that that you've worked so hard for. Yeah, which, and I'll come to this in a second, because Margot's chat um, touched on working with Disney as That's well. Right. Yeah. But it, it seems to be a, it seems to be a bit of a theme with people who work for, for Disney. Disney. Yeah. Um, it's because they're a, a company that tries to make dreams happen for children. Mm. So, like, you're going to be hard. I mean, I, I know that Disney has a lot of issues surrounding how they, they deal with things as well, like their intellectual oh, property and that yeah. kind of stuff. But no. I mean, yeah, when it comes down to it, if you can make a kid happy for a bit, that's pretty, that's a pretty cool thing to be doing. And that, and that, that seems to rub off on the performers that I've spoken to Mm. who have worked with Disney. I think the professionalism is something that's really cool to take note of. Both Casey and Margot spoke about, um, like the whole culture that that's there in these parks, I think that you become part of this family and Mm. that everybody takes it very seriously because you need to because there's there's children and their dreams involved. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like when we talk about Christmas with kids, and and that's something that you try to keep alive. It's that that spirit of of joy and yeah, it's really really interesting work. I think that they got the opportunity to do. And I think something that Casey brought to my attention was just um, well, I mean, one of the questions I asked him was how did he handle the monotony of that kind of work. And that, that comes from a slightly selfish place, that question, because I've done suit work. I, I, yeah. I've, so I've not done character work mm. as much as what Casey and Margot have done, but I've done a hell of a lot of suit work. And I mean, suit work's quite different. Yep. I've literally worked for hours. So if someone, hours. someone, if someone is listening and doesn't know what suit work involves, how about you suit give a bit work, of a description? Well, I guess mascot work. Yeah. It's, it's, it's where you put on the character's suit mm-hmm. and uh, as a dancer, I fell into that work quite easily because I'm quite physically fit and I, I can hack it basically. Yeah, yeah. I can hack being sweaty and uncomfortable for a long amount of time. So I worked um, for Lego a lot, actually in Australia. I was often in like a Lego man suit in like Chermside shopping center Lego Batman sweating bullets <laughs> uh, and the hardest thing about being a Lego man is that you have plastic hands so I, I have memories of like trying to shake children's hands and like I couldn't I, I remember once I like tried to pat a kid on the head and they were just like <laughs> ow <laughs> 
So, and that's something I've really struggled with in the past is that sort of forward-facing character work yeah. and it becoming quite monotonous. And I asked Casey because it's caused a bit of mental health trouble for me in the past. It didn't seem to be a problem for him at all. Didn't seem to be a problem no. for him. Or not one that he focused on. And that really was it's, a It was a, a mindset thing as yeah. well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just made me realise as much as... Um, I think he was very focused on the fact that he might have been doing this every day for however many days in a row, but those children were seeing him for the very first time. And that, that it was so important to make those individual moments as special as possible for each individual. And I think that, yeah, that's that's where you get the drive to do that. I think if you're that kind of person and you can take yeah. all of those isolated things as, as individual experiences, it's yeah. just kind of beautiful, isn't it? And it's really cathartic when you can embrace that mindset. Mm. It's so cathartic. And one of my mates from down south, my colleague, Matthew Rose, I wonder if he'll ever listen to this. I'm, <laughs> I might uh, give him a shout out now, so I'll drop him in it. Matthew Rose says something to me before I go on stage often. If I'm on a, like a low energy day and he can tell, because he's very intuitive, mm. he's like, come on now, Dr. Theatre will fix you. Interesting. And it's something that I now say to myself, I'll often every time before I'm about to go on stage, even if I'm not in yeah. a bad mood, yeah. I, I, I hear the start of the show start, I look at the wings and I look at the lights and I, I get my mic in my hand and I prepare myself to take that first step and I go, cool, Dr. Theatre's here. And it's just a catharsis. It's about throwing yourself into something mm. and immersing yourself in this joy. It's a bit like exercise, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's kind of meditative yeah. and, and reflective and you're able to take yourself out of yourself yeah. while, while you're doing it and then because it's physical as well, it releases endorphins and, mm -hmm. and you end up feeling really good afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a form of escape. Oh, it's a form Escapism. of escape. Yeah, for yeah. you as much as the audience. Yeah, yeah. And that was something that I, I really liked hearing about with Casey. But, you know, one of the things he did talk about that was um, that was interesting and that I've definitely felt myself is the weirdness that can hit you between contracts. So in Casey's story, he took his first uh, contract over in Japan and then came back to Oz for a little bit. And um, I think with with this work being so creatively fulfilling and that form of escapism and therapy for you in that way, it allows you to experience these really high highs, Yeah, just like exercise. Yeah. You get addicted to it. Yeah, I do think performing is addictive. Um, and then you go through withdrawals. I think it's the point that you're getting to. Yeah. 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 So you have those those troughs, like the valleys and, and the hills. Especially when you have to go back to like a low-paying job yeah, or to yeah, live with your yeah. parents. Well, it feels like you're living a dream life mm. and then you return to this kind of reality where you're a barista again or you're... Of course, or especially you're, if you're working somewhere like yeah, Disney, you yeah. literally are living a fantasy. Yeah. And then you have to go, yeah, which mm -hmm. I think just reiterates the importance of, of um, the things we've spoken about, uh, about like needing to create a well-rounded life for yourself yeah. as a performer and and perhaps the importance of, of having that sort of creative something in your life that is just yours outside of your performing job. Yeah, so that when you do return to that kind of... You have something Life, to pull that energy into. Yeah, yeah, to focus on. Yeah, the ups, the big ups and the big, the high highs and the low lows mm. that come from performing, I think. I think we've touched on it before and I'm sure we will again even in this episode, but everybody, there's a lot of through lines 
that, that come out of these conversations with different people that show you that like people, people often will mention the fact that you need to have, you need to be pursuing stuff. You need to be having things on your plate. You need to be going to those auditions. You need to be creating the work for yourself. Mm-hmm. A number of your guests have, have touched on that, that yeah. point. Even Casey himself, he told a funny story about how he got his next job. Um, in Japan and how he'd gone to Comic-Con that day and had to like oh, de-costume. Yeah, yeah. I've had this really cool visual in my head of him like scrubbing makeup off in the bathroom and then running over the that bridge in Brisbane yeah. sweating buckets. I think you said he, he should have just gone in costume <laughs> yeah. and that, that would have showed like commitment. To, but you've got to, to go characters. to the audition. Yeah, you you you've to got to there. put yourself out there. You've got to create that little project that might not go anywhere just to do something, to get in touch with a new person, to put yourself out there. You just nothing happens unless you pursue... And, and unless you pursue stuff, you mm-hmm. hear me shoehorning that. Like, yeah, pursue, pursue. Also, do you know how difficult it is to say the word pursue? Pursue. <laughs> Every time I start my podcast in the pursuit of their creative careers, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm really, that's a mouthful. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, let's move on then. So Nat. Yeah. Nat Bohensky. And, oh, my gosh, I was so excited to get Nat on the show only because um, and there's been a lot of people have, who have contributed, who have contributed to me following the path, Your path. that yeah. I'm on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, she's she's been really influential, mate. She, yeah. So the, this is the story of how I met Nat. Mm-hmm. So I met Nat before I met you. Yep. And I had I'd not long graduated API, my tertiary advanced it in MT, and I by studying musical theatre. I had discovered this new love for acting and singing as whereas previously to my full-time study, I'd been mostly just a dancer. And I think through studying that advanced dip um, diploma, I just realized the value in diversifying my skills um, and how acting was with a love of mine that also was a little, just a little less harsh on my body um, than dancing. And so when I'd graduated ADPI, I auditioned for, a play with underground productions where your brother mm-hmm. hello jeremy wood uh cast me in my first ever play which changed my life it just put me on this whole new path and awakened this love for acting in me but then from there i typed in auditions in brisbane <laughs> the only way to find auditions in brisbane and found some very shitty websites with some very dodgy auditions on them but found stuff for brisbane arts theater and nat Behensky was casting her first um her first rendition of he died with a falafel in his hand and I rocked up to the audition I think I'd turned 18 maybe just I don't think you had maybe not no probably not anyway for anyone who's not familiar he died with a falafel in his hand is extremely rude (laughs) it (laughs) is super crass and filthy it's smutty and excellent it is wonderful wonderful. (laughs) an absolute must read if you haven't um if you haven't stumbled upon it and and she was doing her first staging of the adaptation and I auditioned for it and I think poor Nat just saw this like young 17 year old (laughs) walk into the room start doing rude jokes and was and she was just like you know what love maybe maybe not this time (laughs) I don't know your mum. Yeah. <laughs> and she didn't cast me in the show. And so I then went back to Underground and I auditioned for their next play, which is where I met you. Yes. When yeah. we did The Real Inspector Hound. That's right. Yeah, that's great. Um, Stop hard. <laughs> so I, I mean, maybe it's this little 
piece of something I hold on to as a performer because I think you have to hope that things are sometimes out of your hand. I mean, there are. There are so many factors in performing and pursuing performing work that are just out of your hand. But I like to think that that little moment in my history really was meant to happen. If I'd been cast in her first falafel, I wouldn't wouldn't have met you when I did. No. Um, And then I I went on to audition for her next, uh, her sequel, Tiffalafel, Tasmanian Bass Fiasco, and she cast me in that. Yeah. And my relationship with that started to bloom. But I have always looked up to her mm-hmm. um, as this woman in Brisbane doing things. Yeah, yeah. And I think her podcast really showed that. Really? Her episode of the podcast was amazing. She's doing so much all the time. And I loved hearing about um, her thought process with starting up act react yeah because i'd been doing tazzy babes and then how to be a man the sequel and then the third in the trilogy of those plays of falafel with her and then i was with her when she restaged falafel but at the powerhouse one of the bigger venues and under the banner of act react as opposed to as part of brisbane arts theater Mm -hmm. and i i was just a cast member then you know i've grown to be friends with nat more as i've grown up um and have been able to really admire her for what she's doing and not just see her as a director. Um, but she, she just took a chance. She just took this little dream of hers and it, she threw a whole heap of her money into it. Um, and and now look at her. Like uh, uh, Just to say also, if you are listening to this podcast in real time as it comes out on like the 7th, 8th, 9th of May, what are we up to? This week, yeah. that week in May, uh, Act React are now in production for The Great Grandiosa and The Importance of Being Wasted as part of the Anywhere Theatre Festival. So get out there, <laughs> buy some tickets, see them because we can't. I know, I'm so jealous. Yeah. I really wish her, her stuff is amazing. It and is great. I mentioned it in her show. Um, but if you go and see the production, take a picture of yourself there with the cast, like my mum has done. Hi, mum. <laughs> and I'll post it on my Instagram page because I just love them to bits. Um, but yeah, I found it really interesting her talk about just how, how much things cost in theatre and how. And in Edinburgh specifically. Oh, it was yeah. fascinating. It was really, really fascinating. Um, And it gave me a bit of fuel for thought for the rant that I'd had about people not paying actors for their work, which I I spoke about in Steffi's episode. And I stand by that. I actually, I got a bit angry (laughs) at the end of that. And I refuse to go back and listen to the podcasts I've created because I think the creative process needs to be something that I just make and I put out there and I don't dwell on and I move on from. But I think if I probably went back and listened to that rant at the end of Steffi's podcast, I'd be a bit like, oh, God. But I, you know, there's a real culture for not paying performers mm-hmm. for work or paying performers in experience. Exposure is the exposure? big one. Yeah. Like exposure is not going to pay my bills. No, no. And, um, and just hearing that talk about how she literally started that company off her own back and how, you know, she now has an investor that is supporting her, that she's constantly paying back as well, although it's a, it's a give and take relationship. Um, but, yeah, I, I do understand that people starting things on the grassroots, it's hard, but then she's quickly come into a bit more success with the, with the production company and she does pay her actors for their work now. And Admirable. It's excellent. It's just, really, really good. And it's because she has an understanding of the industry, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. She just knows what, what people are worth and 
and how hard it is for, for everybody to be doing what they're doing. So that's really, really it inspiring. Really is hard work. One of the quotes I've written down that I love, she, mm-hmm. she spoke about how, especially with Edinburgh, she was talking about Edinburgh specifically when she yes. said this, how it's the old trope of how you, you've, you've done five years hard work to become an overnight success. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I think of Tim Minchin mm. when I think about that because mm. he also had that Edinburgh journey. I think there's like a small documentary or something about his, his journey to, towards that. And he became a rip-roaring success overnight. And, and, but really, it had been a lifetime's worth of, of really dedicated hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it just, it just speaks, again, of the creative process of, of how you just need to keep creating stuff. Like, you're not mm-hmm. going to mm-hmm. hit the big time first up. And if you do, if you do, you're one of the exceptions to the rule. And some people do. And that's yeah. amazing and inspiring. But creating work is like, it's like working a muscle. You, you have to keep creating content and sometimes bad content, sometimes shows that you look back on or episodes that you look back on and you go, oh, gosh, that was an experience. Moving on. We've learned. We've lived. Off we go. Mm-hmm. To then finally get to something that's actually starting to make you money or make a name for yourself. And uh, um, and I, and that's experience with Edinburgh as much as Act React had been going for a good few years and her work as a director and a producer had been going for even longer than that, her her first experience with taking Act, Act uh, taking Love Hate Actually to Edinburgh was a whole new learning curve all of itself and it was not a money-making adventure for her and I just can't wait to see her next one, yes. you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I genuinely mean I'm going to hassle away resorts. Well, I like that your one of your <laughs> notes here says, I want to go to Edinburgh. <laughs> just explicitly I just there. want to go to Edinburgh. It seems like such an interesting... Oh, you can just ride her coattails all the way back. Oh, I don't need to do that. <laughs> I don't need to do that. And I honestly meant what I said to her. I would happily just be like a flyer for oh, her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just want to go there. It sounds like this chaotic melting pot of creativity the good the bad the ugly the funny the cringy like sounds like a blast i can't wait till covid is is lifted i know edinburgh is looking at coming back this year i think they're looking at doing more digital stuff which is very cool very cool Mm. i think one of the coolest things to come from covid is creatives exploring digital platforms more and international collaboration that comes from that so it means that you can have because people expect things to be online now, yeah. it means that you can have these. What are you you're turning the page? Yeah, here. I am Why? turning the page. <laughs> no, 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 because that just runs directly into Libby's chat. I'm just skipping over one episode sure, here because sure. I just I like how that goes into right, my right. chat with Libby. Um, because she was talking about how they could have guests that they wouldn't have been able to have at the gala yeah, that she yeah, was throwing yeah. because of that, and and that it's fine because, like I was just saying, then people are expecting things to be online, uh-huh. so you're not going to get a bit shirty that that guest isn't actually there in person because of course they can't be there in person so it's fine and oh look we've got buddy old mate on the screen lovely yeah and ultimately that means that the audience that you can attract can be so much bigger yes and then that uh, that as we we as audience members mm. now have access to so much more stuff mm-hmm. um and, uh, yeah, so moving forward to the episode I did with Libby Swan, um, a big theme within Libby's chat was about uh, – oh, sorry, I kind of got jumbled on my words there. One of the big points that we spoke about in Libby's chat was was the idea of not letting your degree define you mm. as a performer and 
uh, I'll just recap a little bit about her story because her trajectory with auditions has kind of fueled that a bit and I really, really related to this. Mm. Libby spoke really openly just about how bloody hard auditions are because, uh, I mean, not not only just getting the auditions and potentially needing to have an agent to even get yourself in the room, but as someone who struggles with anxiety, which I've been reminded of whilst doing this podcast, um, getting these jobs, like it's more than just having the skills and the ability. When you actually get in the room, overcoming that environment is a whole new ball game. Yeah. Well, that was something a number of your guests have touched on. I think Ben as well. So in the in the episode before, Libby spoke about the fact that he was doing that audition, walked in, panel weren't really looking at him. Yeah. And how how difficult that was. Yeah. In to fact, deal. actually, I like I like we we'll talk about Ben and Libby's um, chats in tandem a little bit. They do have a lot of through yeah, lines, yeah, don't yeah, they? Yeah, 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 they do. yeah. So Ben told the story of his first maybe not his first, but one of his first big auditions mm. here in London and how he was super ready and he felt prepared and he felt all of his training kicking in, you know, yeah. these full-time courses. We do audition classes um, which try and prepare you for this. But he walked in, he opened his mouth, he started singing and they the, were on their phones. the whole panel were looking at their phones. That's yeah. funny. I'm not going to name the name yeah, yeah. because he's a very big, important uh Older white man in casting mm-hmm. here in the UK, but I've had I'm an surprised. I've had an audition with this gentleman as well myself, which I was equally so excited about because it was my first big audition with a big casting director here in the UK, and he treated me the exact same way. Yeah, yeah. I started singing, and he was on his phone mm. for the entire thing. Pretty Just challenging, so kind of insulting. So um, insulting. It's really disrespectful. It is. Like, what are they doing there? I obviously don't understand. Yeah. Are they trying to just listen? Are they trying to make me feel alienated so that I work a bit harder? Like, is, is there a tactic there? Yeah. Are they waiting to be so blown away that it lifts them out of their phone? Is and he that, like, that's what I'll look for? up to the person that makes me look up? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. That's kind of arrogant. But also maybe that's what you have to do when you see 1,500 people. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I know that the numbers are enormous, especially here, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's a tough job as well. Like, you've got to it, – it's hard when it feels so insulting and so personal to then try and, and pull yourself out of that and, and make it as impersonal as possible. Yeah. I just don't know. I, I don't think that's the right way to do it. I and I don't have any answers. And also I don't need answers and because you know, I don't work in your industry. Yeah, so. <laughs> but do you know where also my little bit of disgust with that behaviour yeah, comes me. from is the fact that I have been on the other side of the desk a couple of times. Yes. Not on – oh, goodness knows I'm not. No, I'm no, not we're not casting West End shows. No. No, we did. We cast no, an amateur. I've done much show. more small fry stuff. Mm. But being on the other side of the desk in an audition situation is – does put you in a powerful position yes i think it's so important to remember what the people on the other side are going through um another thing ben spoke about was how arbitrary the line is between the people who are in the room doing the work Mm. and the people who are knocking on the door trying to get the jobs chris fung spoke about the same sort of thing that when you're when he was in the room eventually he, he realized that any of the talented people he knew could have been in that room as well and it's just whatever factors have gone their way, or perhaps on that audition day, or perhaps just because they're the way such, they look, sometimes it's just because they're being cast on look. They're such big productions that these kinds of decisions 
can have been made a month before the audition. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think someone else touched on too the fact that auditions were put out, but only two of the roles ended up being... Oh, that was Libby, yeah. That was Libby, too. Yeah, one role. role. Yeah. Yeah, they had a whole room full of people that they'd gotten in for this. And she she, she made it sound like it was quite a long-winded process. It wasn't just like a day's audition. She was part of a workshop, which is, I I agree with her, I much prefer workshop auditions. Yeah. Because they end up feeling like a class then. You sort of relax, you're able to show your colours, you're able to make a few mistakes and just be silly in yourself and learn and grow and express yourself a bit more of the course of along the process but at the end of the day they only cast one person i think that can be kind of frustrating as well because you might end up putting more time into that kind of workshop process Mm. which then means you feel like you've invested more of yourself to then receive that no yeah that's kind of frustrating because i think about one of the biggest um sort of large group job interviews i did Mm. i did that back in brisbane for a brisbane city council library position and I think there were hundreds of applicants and it got down to 50 people and they did a group interview with 50 people in the room. And you just feel like they're maybe not looking at you when you're doing your best. And, and there's only, what, five or six people who are keeping track of, of a room full of 50 people and how can you be seen in that and how can you be... And also, what is it that they're looking for? Mm-hmm. I know that they switched people halfway through so we had a woman at our desk who was watching the six of us or whatever, and then she switched halfway through for someone else. What if she liked me, but the second person didn't? Mm. And how how does that influence their decision? I didn't get the job, of course. So what what is it that they're looking for? And that that's probably the closest kind of real real world interview process yeah. I've had that's that's the closest to this like performance type which is why you have to career. build really really thick skin mm. as a jobbing performer who's doing auditions all the time and it's, it's honestly it's one of the reasons why I moved over here something that Ben spoke about was just the volume of work yeah. over here yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's absolutely true mm. that I and and Libby spoke of this as well like there just is not enough auditions in Australia no. for us to be to feel like we're getting good at them quickly of course yeah and they because it's another skill that you need in your skill set isn't yeah, it yeah 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 and like you said you have these audition classes but they don't in, in the they majority don't quite, of they don't quite emulate the same high stakes feeling it's because they can't it's it, like all sorts of um all sorts of careers will have these sort of classes like i think of my masters that i did i did it all sorts of, of different units on different stuff that I just haven't used mm. in, in my day-to-day life. And we would have guest speakers come in who'd be like, oh, I hated this when I was studying it and now I love it because I learned this on the job. Mm. And it's just like, well, what what are you supposed to do? People telling you that you're going to learn the majority of it on the job and then when you can't get the job, how do you learn it on the job and, and what, are they, what are you paying for to be taught to then learn the majority of it on the job like what's the and point it is, it is so true that you learn on the job and yeah. actually <laughs> i wanted to tell talking about auditions i wanted yeah. to tell the story of my audition for away resorts because i i feel like this job has changed me and helped me to grow as a performer so so much and there were a lot of factors involved with my casting in that job that were were kind of out of my control but just went in my favor so for starters, the job I'm doing at Away Resorts is a huge vocal role. Like I, I, I sing more than I dance, absolutely. 
and I'm a dancer first and foremost. So that sort of job was always a bit terrifying to me just because I was like how just because I'm anxious in auditions and it's it's not my strength. So I remember I went in for that job with Away Resorts and it was a group audition and that's actually it's it's a big credit to Claire Hoyle who was managing the auditions um and assisting with casting for that that she created an environment and that she was genuinely this is just her as a person as well but she was genuinely the most most approachable person I have ever dealt with in casting Mm. and it really helped um the group audition situation was kind of terrifying as we all stood up in front of each other one at a time and sung let it go like it was terrifying it's one of the hardest vocal auditions I've ever done um but the things that went in my favor for that audition was that then there was a dance round, which I blitzed, if I do say so myself. And that's because dancing is my happy place. It's my easy place. And also I got into that dance audition as, and I, as opposed to in the singing round where I just was listening to everyone else's voice and thinking about how fabulous they were and how I was, you know, I guess as good, but maybe not as good as some of them. I got into that dance round and I stopped looking at anyone. And I I remember when I was standing on the side because we would learn the routine and then we would do it for the panel in like groups of four or five. And my last name starts with W. So I'm always like one of the last ones there. Tell me about it. (laughs) But I, my mindset changed when I went into that dance round. I, whenever I was standing on the side and I could see people around me who were nervous and they were like running through the routine and looking at the people dancing and I stopped looking. I forced myself to not look at anybody else who was doing their dance audition. And I got out there and in my mind, I just pretended like I was center stage and that it was all about me, that everyone was going to be watching me. And I was like, I really like had to talk myself up and big mm, up myself. Interesting. But I had a different mindset going into that dance audition. And I think that confidence came across. And I think just my confidence as a dancer came across. Um, and that just helped me to get to the next vocal round and the next vocal round. And then ultimately things that went in my favor with getting casted away resorts was that I was a lot older than other people in the room. And most of our, I mean, I'm the youngest in my cast and I'm 30. Mm -hmm. So I felt sorry for people who were in their younger twenties, who were maybe as strong, if not stronger singers than me, who, you know, something that was out of their hands in that situation was that they were not life right, experience. They weren't yeah. right for the dynamic that they were looking to of create. Course. Maybe they weren't aware, aware of that dynamic until they found me. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, "Oh, actually, her and Matt will get along quite well." Or like, yeah. da da da. Yeah. Um. And the fact that I I had a bit of experience working with kids and families, and that's an element of this job as well. Mm. Um. You never know what experiences you've had will contribute to you getting that job. Yeah. One of the questions I got asked in my interview was, can I drive? Hmm. And I was like, yep, but I'm from Australia. (laughs) Haven't driven in this country. Don't own a car. All those things. But, you know, there's just a few things, for example, that went in my fate. Just talking about how things are out of your control in auditions and how they're alien. Anyway, that's all I think that kind of ties into, I'm just looking at your notes here, what Libby touched on as well in terms of value in travelling and... big world experiences mm. that kind of ties into that like mm. you can have that that life experience and that can count for so much in these in these instances as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. um and oh sorry that's what I, that's, that was my point about mm-hmm. telling the story sure was just the fact that since getting the job at away resorts yep. if i if i if i can say so myself i have become 
a really strong vocalist. Yeah. And I've grown in confidence. I think that's a self-confidence thing, mm-hmm. as uh, probably more than technique. I was, you know, I was learning a lot of technique stuff back in Oz. Yeah. But from coming here and now being on the job, actually now growing within my position in a in a way resorts. Yeah. I have grown so much more, and again, that just it ties back into that like I, talk of how there's a difference. But there's such a an arbitrary difference between the people in the job and the people trying to get the job. Yeah, yeah. I think it also ties into like learning on the job in longer contracts. Mm. I think that that's what's really important too. Mm-hmm. So especially when you think of your guests like Margot and Casey who worked on these long contracts with a large organization. Yeah. Because that's my history of work. I feel like you can develop more in these kind in these larger organizations because they just have the money to do things. Yeah. So I get a lot of professional development opportunities that you you may not necessarily get if you weren't working for a Russell Group University here yeah. in, in the UK. Or just working on a two-month contract. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just not going to happen because I think when you work for a, on a larger contract or you work for a large organisation, they're making an investment in you. Mm. So they want to fund your training and they want you to work on transferable skills because it benefits them in the long run Mm -hmm. because they want to retain you as as a performer and there's something that comes from just feeling a part of something and feeling valued as an employee you don't get that as much when you work two months here or you just don't get that much as a performer I think, and that's part of the the struggle. That's like that work life balance, especially, thing. especially not that's, in Oz, where yeah, contracts yeah. are much smaller. Yeah, exactly. Shorter. You don't feel taken care of. Yeah. I think, and that's a real issue. That's why so many of your guests have touched on mental health concerns, mm. because of course you're going to be depressed if you're going from short contract to short contract. If you can get it, if you can get into the room to begin with, mm. if you can then pass that audition process. It's mad. Yeah. It's, and it's honestly crazy to me why so many people would choose to to do it. It's because it's addictive, mate. It's addictive, but it's yeah, it's a passion thing as well, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, talking about being taken care of, mm-hmm. Margot really did mm. express. Um, oh, absolutely. Her, how- her story was like kind of harrowing, wasn't it? Yeah. She had to deal with so much, but consistently she would she would speak about how supportive they were. Mm. Not just her team, but the wider organization as well. And I think yeah. that comes back to the sort of point that I was making too that when you're working for those bigger organizations, they have the ability to look out for you in a way that you might not be able to. And what a thing to have gone through. So, Margot's story mm. touched on her experience working with uh, Tokyo Disney um, at a time where Japan went through some major earthquakes. Yeah. And she sent me some footage now that I'm going to post on my Instagram. Go and have a look for it, listeners. Um, when I finally get around to doing the promo for it, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm going to post up one of the vids she sent me of outside her apartment when the earthquake happened. Was that that wasn't her video? Was it? I thought no. that was a random video. It wasn't, from, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. was outside her apartment. Right. Okay. She wasn't at her apartment. Yeah, yet, of course. When the of earthquake course. hit, yeah. but she sent me this footage of of the the earth shifting in front of the apartment. Oh, it's mad. And the water coming up from underneath. Yeah, yeah. Just, just gray, gray water bubbling out of concrete. It's like, whoa. I, I really, I really struggle to understand it. I think just because it's not something I've experienced, but no. her explanation of how it felt like waves, yeah, yeah, was really helpful for me to mm, understand. Mm. Like, just terrifying. And yes, so she, she went home just a little bit early, 
earlier than the end of her contract there because, I mean, the girl was 18 years old and her parents were watching her go through a natural disaster. So they were like, please come home. Mm. Um, She didn't cut it too short, I think. But, yeah, she did go home. And just like Casey, she went through a really, really difficult time feeling like she'd, she'd left this fantasy world and this opportunity and come back home to nothing. And um, well, I think the hardest thing that she struggled with was that idea of being told that you can't do that thing that you've trained to do. Yeah, so that was when she went back and she did a second contract yeah. and then she went on to a third contract, which, yep. I mean this is what I mean by when I talk to these guests of mine who have worked for Disney, they, they seem to have a good retention rate yeah. with their staff, which is really interesting. And I think Margot, like Casey, found the joy in that magic yeah, of performing yeah. and, and working with families. And in this- What's also magic, though, for performers is a continued contract. Yeah. Like, surely, it's like what you found at Away Resorts. Yeah. What is incredible is, is having a job yeah. that is supportive like that and they did support her and she went on but then towards the end of her third contract she started having really bad back pain yep. and isn't it funny her and i've come from a similar background and we've yep. both got back issues yeah um hers are far more uh, debilitating than yeah. than mine and she's grown now to be living a beautiful successful life of her own but at the time her back injury resulted in her seeing doctors who told her that she could no longer dance anymore. That's right. They said to her, you cannot be a performer with this injury. Mm. Heartbreaking. Oh, heartbreaking. Rip my heart out. Yeah. What do you, what do you do? I was literally crying when I was listening back to Margaret's episode, Mm. editing it. I don't think I was able to fully, I mean, I am a very active listener when I'm doing my interviews with my guests, but I, you know, I have to try and hold it together. And I just was propelling the chat and thinking of the episode as well when I was chatting to her, but listening back to it, especially by myself in my little caravan on Hailing Island. As a performer too. I think think that's the other thing. Like it's going to really resonate with, with people who do the kind of work that you've all done. Um, Not that it didn't with, with me as well, but I think it's, it's a little bit harder because it's such a physical job. So when you have an injury like that, like I could have a back problem and still work as a librarian. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think that's where it's a problem for people. Any kind of athletes that would resonate with them. If you're someone that uses your body and then you get an injury, like I, I think it resonated with me the most in terms of like exercise, because that's something yeah. that I'm really passionate about and something that I love and, and working with or through an injury is is one of the most frustrating and and kind of debilitating things yeah. because you just want to be doing something that makes you feel good. She was on a TENS machine. Yeah. That's she was nuts. on a TENS machine whilst working. Yeah, yeah. Towards the end of her contract. Unbelievable. I, I just can't fathom the kind of, like, pain that she would have been struggling with. And strength. And like continuing emotional to do strength. that work. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. That girl amazes me. Yeah. She really, really does. And, uh, yeah, I think that about brings us towards the end of our recap there, I think Margot's biggest, uh, her word of wisdom towards the end of Mm -hmm. her chat was just about embracing opportunities, enjoying opportunities, not letting things beat you down when in fact if you step back and take a look at things, you're, you're living a life that your younger self would just be in awe of. Yeah, yeah. And I've taken that on board. That's something I try to to take hold of as well. Yeah. Definitely. I think one of the 
something I struggle with. This yep. is just definitely a personal thing for me. As much as I love feeling valued by a workplace and I'm, I'm loving going back to away resorts this year for a second 12-month contract. It's something I've never gotten to do as a performer before. Yep. Um, I I have a short attention span. Other than other than being with you, <laughs> I have never managed to do anything else full-time for longer than about three years before I just get a bit cynical. Yeah, lucky me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're, and, you're absolutely right. Though. I've I'm, witnessed I'm, it firsthand. I'm with far you. from yeah. becoming sick of my job at Away Resorts. And I honestly, it's it's just a job like I've never had before, I think. It's, it's completely different. But there's days where I'm a bit low or I miss you or I don't, you know, for whatever reason. I think I've kind of had a bit of a go at you about this in the past mm. because I, I was kind of like, this is what it's like for people who have a nine to five, Monday to Friday, even if they're passionate about it. Yeah. That's what it's like. Yeah. It was really interesting for me to hear you talking about it like that and being like, oh, I've got these low moments. And then because I was kind of like, I don't think I had a huge amount of sympathy for you. Yeah. Because like, I was welcome like, mate, to that's work, it. Mate. That's what it is. Yeah. Congratulations. You're back on another year long contract. This is like anybody working any job. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing, like, that's kind of a benefit that. It's a very small silver lining for performers in that the work you guys do is really changeable. So mm. you do get that like new experience so things feel fresh and new and, and you don't, you're not often faced with that like monotony that can yeah. come from a nine to five at the, oh, look, here's my desk. Here I am again at the same place in the same chair doing the same thing. Well, I don't know, though, like when I'm, yeah, you say that, yeah. but every time I hear the same intro for the <laughs> same show that no, I, and I say the same, like, yeah, there is. But that's what I meant. Intro. Like, that's yeah. what you're experiencing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what but you're getting the chance to, to I think do. it's something I'm getting better at with maturity. Yeah. I think as I'm, as I'm growing older, I'm learning and, you know, <laughs> doing this project, creating this podcast mm. has given me so much fuel for thought, and this is one of the biggest ones, is just to remember that the work I get to do is so satisfying for Mm. me and and so and so special for me and that i can never take it for granted because also i won't get to do it forever no and i i I, you know it's one of the scariest things for me personally is i don't know what my life's going to look like in 10 years in five years in two years i you know at this stage i'm just with away resorts and that that's fine but I also I moved to this country for new experiences mm. and I don't know. I think there's something about that that's really exciting as well though yeah. too. And, yeah. and you and I have already done that kind of stuff before. Like we, I don't know if we've spoken about it on the podcast, but our moving over here and our getting married was kind of the end result of our five-year plan. Mm. And then when we first got here, we were like, uh, guess we should probably do get we a need new- a new one? <laughs> like what do we do now? There's literally, we don't know what, we're not building towards anything anymore. Um, so that's been really interesting. You and I, the sort of discussions we've been having in the last couple of months about like what kind of things might be on the next five year plan and and what that might look like. And, but then you get a a huge spanner like COVID thrown into the mix and and you realize that I saw you turn the pages a bit here, but the the last sort of point on this Margot section you have there is you never know what's around the corner. And I think that's really accurate and and important to, to keep track of. Like you said, you don't know what we're going to be doing in two years. Um, so just take it as it comes and, and yeah. be excited by it and, and inspired by people. And I think the coolest thing for me being like a bystander during this whole process, occasionally roped in for, for random small chats, um, 
has just been getting to hear all of these different stories and 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 hear about everybody's experiences and and how different everything is and it's just so inspiring to, to be a, a, a very small part of this so yeah i'm just i'm just so proud but of also you, it's not a small and all, part. of all of these people so proud mm-hmm. of all of these individuals that you had on here who are just out there and they're doing things and it's it's amazing and just proving all of these individuals have proved and reminded me of just how viable our industry is yeah. and 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 just to combat any comments that arise through the media or whatever especially you know during covid mm. there's been a lot of discussion about h- how valuable the arts are right. and yeah. if they're actually important or essential and i mean you know it, it, i almost took that i almost regret saying that i was about to say theater's not going to save your life in an emergency situation but actually <laughs> for some people that a message that is delivered yep. in a creative way through yep. something they've gotten to experience or watch or you know, sometimes creative expression can change people's lives and definitely creative expression can also raise money and and directly impact on on situations look how much much money libby raised yeah yeah, millions exactly exactly i also think of uh, the best show that we've ever seen that we saw here when we can't you'll have to remind me what it's called like (laughs) i can't remember oh the jungle the jungle yeah that was was incredible absolutely phenomenal show best piece of theater i've ever seen it was it was a play but it was immersive in the sense that they had gutted the theater you know that's the same theater that matt um samer played at fiddler on the roof small world isn't it just imagine that now how what we saw was the completely gutted they'd gutted this theater to the point where it had a dirt floor dirt floor so cool a kitchen in the back that was cooking like um fennel and cumin seeds and chai tea that was yeah. creating this aroma in the room and we were basically transported to the inside of a base camp in Calais where this story about the refugees and the crisis in Calais was then unfolded in front of you and we mm-hmm. left that with a new Shook. outlook on it. I was things. absolutely shaken by it. It was it was phenomenal and and I was so happy to donate to that cause. Oh yeah, I put my money at down. That time. We like, did we really yeah, did. Yeah, Everybody yeah. did and that was really exciting as well to see that happening. So when yeah, if if we have these sort of crusty old white blokes making decisions somewhere about the future of theatre, who who've not seen a show in their fucking life or or whatever, it, it's just Boy. like it is saving lives. It can it can have that kind of impact. It is fueling. It's transformative. Sword. Yeah, and yeah, it's absolutely viable. And this season has featured wonderfully talented, colourful people, all making it work and making career for them, making careers for themselves as artists around the world mm. and what what amazing lives they get to leave and um i think one of the biggest reasons that the arts are so important is because it's what we will leave behind in this world when we move on this is how we tell our stories and mm. this is how we tell stories and leave messages and leave thoughts for people and build community and yeah yeah, yeah. so Lots of big thoughts. I've absolutely loved season one. Yeah. I'm I, I am ready to take a little break from it because it has been exhausting and transformative for me and so thought provoking. And I just want to take time to sit on that and think about that and to source new interviews with interesting stories from people from parts of the world mm. that I've not heard from, from people that I don't even know. That's right. Yeah, because now you have the opportunity to step out from your own kind of sphere of, of influence and, mm-hmm. and talk to people that have been like names that have been given to you by these individuals that you've interviewed already. I think that's going to make season two really 
exciting and and diverse. Not yeah. that it hasn't been these stories haven't been diverse already. Yeah, yeah, but more. So. But I think yeah, more so is is going to be really interesting through age as well. Because at the moment, yes. at the moment, the people I'm contacting are sort of within your age ten bracket. years, give or take, of yeah, mine. Because yeah. they're the people I'm in contact with. But That's some right. of the nominations I've been given are from different I generations. Think, I think of Sue Ryder and Jim Vile, for yep. example. Ben's nominations. They are two tutors in Brisbane who. Mm-hmm. Um, moved from the UK, they've yeah. done the reverse of us, and they've had huge things to do. I'm pretty sure it was with Laplatte. Mm. Didn't Ray recommend an, an older woman from oh, yeah, Kansas Miss, as well? Or Missy something? Coons yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. state. So I'm really looking forward to starting to transcend the generation yeah. gap a little bit. Because that's really important. You want more diverse yeah. voices and, and stories, and, and that'll keep these listeners coming back for more. Yeah, hopefully so. Thank you, listeners. Thank you so much for your support throughout season one, and Will, thank you. Thank you for your support because honestly, I needed just someone to hold my hand sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, go. mate. Cheers. Um, it's been absolutely awesome. And yeah, I won't be breaking for long. I just need to. My work with Away Resorts is going to start touring um, because Mill Rife, the site that I'm currently on on Hailing, is under construction. So for us as the uh, as the theatre company, directed by away resorts we we do live streams from Millwright, but ultimately now that venues are opening back up again with lockdown we're going to be touring all over the country so i just need to make sure i can manage my schedule and my energy and yeah but i'm keen to come back and i'm keen for season two so i can't wait thank you thank you for your support listeners and i hope you've enjoyed this rambly (laughs) passionate recap went from a mini episode to an hour and three minutes so far I'm impressed by that. I'm really impressed. Go us. All right. I'll see you in season two, listeners. Bye. Bye. Until next time.